Renee's small fictional rural town of Porohiwi is once again the scene of a murder, but why would anyone kill grumpy old mask collector Matthew uh, in his home? Blood Matters is an award-winning playwright and novelist Renee's second crime novel, and it, Puti, has taken over both guardianship of her 10-year-old niece, Bella Rose, and ownership of the local bookshop, mainly crime, after the death of her sister. Autaki-based Renee told me she doesn't dwell on the forensics in her books. She's far more interested in the impact of a murder on the small community she's created. I asked her what she enjoys about writing crime scenarios. I think it's the challenge, Lynn. I've read it. I've read crime novels since I was 10 and um, have gone on reading them. I don't go for the um, very uh, scary ones. Uh, and so that's the kind of, when I came to think about it, that's the kind of uh, one I thought. And I I just like having a puzzle. I, when I thought of this little town of Porohiwi, which is kind of an amalgam between the two towns I know the best, which are Wairoa and Ōtaki. And I thought it would just be nice to keep the the town as the backdrop and then just insert, you know, some evil stuff along the way. Because, I mean, of course it happens. It happens to everyone's lives and uh, at least once in their life something bad happens, even though you live in a nice little town which seems very safe. And so... I kind of created the town first, as it were, and then <laughs> slipped in the, the other as an extra. And it's become like a real thing to me. In my head, I know the history of just about everyone in it. First of all, I wrote two on my blog on um, Wednesday Busk. I wrote a chapter a week. And I did two. And then I gave, I've stopped that when I thought of doing one for publishing. And so we've blocked those off so no one can read them now. But during that, I got to know very well the characters and their backgrounds. And um, so it just was a matter of keeping that and presenting that to the reader. It's got a river, of course, like the two towns that I know well. And I've always been very, very fond of rivers. And so, yeah, it just... I th- and, of course, you can't have a little town without a theatre. Um, or a, a bookshop. Or a bookshop. <laughs> no, no, that's exactly right. And um, so, of course, it has the, the players, in this particular case, the Porohiwi players. Now, Porohiwi is a name from my past, from my ancestor. There was a Porohiwi. And so um, it seemed... A okay thing to me to call the town that, and and that was how it was born, and so I just kept on, and in every novel there's a new person introduced, and because I once worked um, in a secondhand bookshop, this time that's where the, the, the a lot of the book is set. So that's how that came about. Mainly crime, filled with Agatha Christie's yeah, yeah, this lovely yeah, naming yeah. of other crime writers, which I enjoyed. I wondered too, Renee, of course, knowing you as a playwright, I imagine that's an advantage for you in many ways as a novelist, because sometimes I find dialogue is what new novelists struggle most with, to give every person their individual voice. That comes to you so naturally as breathing, I imagine. So how have you found the transition? Uh, oh, 
it hasn't seemed hasn't I started writing novels um, in the late eighties. I think my first one came out then, and I think theatre. I had loved writing for theatre. I had loved it. And then um, the Mervyn Thompson thing happened and I got a, I had a very bad time um, because everyone thought it was me. I mean, documentary last year showed it wasn't. But theatre became a place where I did not feel comfortable because everyone thought that I had had a hand in it. And I decided I would write something else. So a guy um, rang me and he'd been going to work and he'd heard a story of mine on radio. It wasn't called Radio New Zealand then, but he had heard a story. And he said to me, uh, do you think you could write a few more? Because he was from Macmillan. He said, we'd like to do a book of short stories. So I wrote um, Finding Ruth. And then it just seemed an okay thing to to do to start writing a novel. And so I wrote a novel and I sent it to Heinemann's and they didn't want it. So um, I thought, oh. And previous to that, at one of my plays at Theatre Corporate, on the stairs I'd met Jeff Walker, you know, from Penguin. And he had said to me, if you ever write a novel or something, give us a, you know, think about us. And so as is my want, I rang him up directly and I said, look, I've got this manuscript. It's been turned down by Heinemann's. I am not submitting it to you. What I'm asking you to do, would you mind reading it and tell me what's wrong with it and then I'll fix it. And so he read it and he did tell me and I fixed it and he took it. Oh, it's such a lovely story. And so it's gone on since then. Um, You're right, I do like writing dialogue. I um, feel at home, I think, with a lot of dialogue I read, um, there's probably too much said. I think you have to know where to leave spaces and the reader will fill them in. And if they don't manage that later on, there will be, it will come to them. And because, you know, in New Zealand, we, we have a lot hanging between the lines when we speak. We don't always, well, we never always say everything. We just know the other person will understand. And and so I guess that's why I like it, because it doesn't reveal everything all at once. And there's a certain demanding sort of skill required. And you have to be good. You have to really make, work hard and and know when you've got it right and when you haven't got it right. So there's a sort of ongoing fascination for me with dialogue. And it is so important, really. Um, We kind of... There's lots of things in dialogue that are... You can pick up clues and stuff, but you can also pick up clues from the silences in between. So it's quite fascinating, really. Mm. In um, Porohiwi, we have... A large cast of characters that did remind me of your playwriting days. Yes. <laughs> You've got a large cast of characters, uh, but this is there is a murder here and there is a puzzle. But it really, to me, speaks of Fano and community. 
you know, and the reaction to this terrible thing that happens in the small town where everybody knows everybody. Everybody doesn't necessarily like everybody, of course, which is, is um, which is life. Uh, but I, I, I love the relationships, and they're very strong. So if we start with Puti and Bella Rose, so aunt now turned pseudo mother with the death of her sister, which is very sad. Yeah. But a beautiful relationship. This little ten-year-old um, Bella Rose, ten-year-old private investigator in the making, <laughs> as you call her. So tell me about their story because they're they're. It's a very strong bond that they have, but it's evolving because yes, things have changed. Yes, and I think that's why I called it Blood Matters because it's about Fano and it's about... Also, though, the thing with that is you cannot take somebody off. <laughs> if, if you don't like someone in the family or your Fano, that's fine. You, you don't have to like them, but you cannot remove them from the family tree or the whakapapa or whatever you want to call it. They're there forever, and they are part of you because you're genetically related to them. And so one of the things that Bella Rose learns, because her auntie tells her, is is that, that even when someone, a lady turns up and claims to be her grandmother and she doesn't like her, Putty says to her, it's just too bad. It's just really too bad because she's there and that's her role and you can't do anything about it. And I think with a lot of us, we sort of think, oh, well, I just won't have him or her or whatever, but you, you have to. They're part of it. So I think that matters of the blood, matters of relationships are quite important and whether we like the person or whether we don't doesn't really matter because they figure in our lives whatever. Well, we have both of those. We have the love and the distance. So we have Puti who loves Bella Rose, you know, as they negotiate their way through this relationship. And then her grandfather, Matthew Darrell, and this is found out quite early in the piece. He's, He's one of the victims. And she talked, this really struck me, when she's going through the gate reluctantly to pick things up because he doesn't want to look after them anymore, she's talking about social distancing and feeling socially distanced. Yes. She has done all her life because this is in the time of COVID. Really yes. interesting. So yes. He's a difficult man. Yes. He's a, he's representative of a lot of older people. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, he was there. That sort of person was there. And... Um, I guess you've probably, I mean, you've probably read the story where I, the first day I went to school, um, two teachers stood at the top of the stairs and one said to the other, pretty little thing, pity she's so dark. And so you, and of course I'd had that sort of thing before, um, before I, as I grew. Um, So I also wanted to include in the story how, easy that is for people to say. Those things are very easy. But the person receiving them remembers and they stay with her. And I've got putty at some stage thinking, I don't collect books, but I collect words. And I get them for free. No one charges me for them, but they stay with me. Something like that, she says. And I just wanted it to be those sort of um, 
encounters. I just wanted them to be in the story like an everyday sort of thing because I I think um, obviously a lot of people don't have those experiences and maybe they don't know how just how easy, like how throwaway, how it doesn't really matter. Well, to the person saying them, I mean, but every time it matters to the one receiving. Um, so I wanted that to be a thread as well. I wanted the kindness and just everyday sort of um, friendliness that goes on in a, in a town. I wanted that to be there. And I also wanted the feeling that people look after each other, like Auden if there's anything to do, if it's anything bad to do with Maori, he's there. And, I mean, someone like him, he didn't ask for that position when he was a kid or think about it even, but that's his position now, and he he does it. Kind and, of a negotiator, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. And he, if, if they don't understand anything or whatever, he, he steps in and explains. He's kind of the buffer between them and, say, the police or a doctor or something like that. And he's um, a bit of a fairy tale in some ways because we could all do with 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 one sometimes, with an Auden sometimes. But um, yeah, so and then his wife Hester, of course, is the is the director, and she directs plays and things like that. So it's kind of just like any small town, really, where sometimes a bad thing happens. A lot, often with crime novels, they'll start with a very dramatic vicious attack. That's the starting point. You're very subtle because you have Putty out for a run and you say that she has to run every night basically to stay strong. That, mm. That's that's what keeps her focused. Yes, it it's is. imperative to her. But she has the sense of someone being behind her, which is always, and un- we've all felt it, that really unnerving thought of someone in the dark potentially being behind. Now, she can run, she can sprint, she finds safety. But you set up that unease right from the start very, very subtly. That's that's clever Thank writing. You. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but she is a remarkable woman, I find, Putty, isn't she? she? She's, as I say, she's she's stepped in, she's had a lot of loss, She's her family is not everything it could be, her whanau. Um, and then she's in this mystery, this murder mystery, mm. where remember yeah. her whanau is killed. yeah. Um, and she's inquisitive, and she's strong. Yes, I think um, there's something about something about Putty um, that reminded me, like it reminded me of me in some ways. In that, my sister has died as well, and she was younger, and it seemed so unfair. Um, I mean, when they were kids, I was the oldest, and I always said to my brother and sister, wait for me if I was crossing the road or if I was diving into the river first in the spring, you know, just checking for obstacles of some kind, rocks or logs or something. And I always said to them, wait for me, and they did. And now they've both buggered off. (laughs) And so I'm left and thinking, why the hell didn't they do as I told them? And I thought of Putty, she's not the oldest, but I know very well how the feeling of loss comes because, uh, for me anyway, sisters are very special and um, I think of her every day 
and sometimes her daughter and I email and stuff. She's the same. And so I when put, I understood Putty's despair and her feeling of loss. And so I wanted to show that in, as well, yeah. You talk... Oh, I, look, I must ask you about the um, Porohiwi star because this cracked me up. The police notes, the court notes... Um, the, you're having fun with yeah, a lot of these. I am, you have I a, am. Yeah. So, some of them are laugh out loud and some more serious, but the place of the community <laughs> newspaper is still really important. And I guess in something like this, because we do have scary moments, you know, you do become anxious for those you care about in a book and for the community, but you need these these lighter moments. Yes, and um, in the wild card, they were um, rehearsing. Uh, Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest. So I was able to quote from that. And I th- I do like the, that idea in terms of writing, in terms of a reader. I do like that idea. So I thought I'll just make up some little clips from the star. And I'm really pleased that you like them. Oh, I love it. I've got one here. A woman charged with stealing four eggs from her neighbour's hen house said the neighbour had stolen chickens from her yard last year. So they were actually her eggs. Police <laughs> notes. <laughs> and you've got some great jokes and puns in, in there too. But I, I thought it was a reminder that in a, in a small community there is still very much a place for that. Oh, you know? yes. Oh, yes. And um, we have a, a, a newspaper in Otaki called the Otaki Mail. And, um, like, everyone looks forward to it and they read it and they talk about stuff that's in it. And uh, and so for a small... And so and Wairoa has the Wairoa Star... And so, like, it seemed natural if it was a little town to have a newspaper. And I even wrote um, some columns for the Wire or Star when I lived there, just um, little domestic kind of reminiscences and and jokes at my own expense and that sort of thing. Um, so it just seemed natural. But I quite like... Um, I'm glad you mentioned it because I do quite like the quote quotey thing at the beginning of a chapter and if it's got some sort of continuum to it it's even nicer, don't you think? Oh, I completely agree. It really made it for me because sometimes when you're getting anxious, just a little bit of a laugh is really helpful. Yes. Um, there's also you have lovely descriptions of the houses of people. It, it really struck me. So you have um, uh, Matthew Darrell's house, you know, the, the tough gentleman we spoke about before, but it was all very neat. Yes. He believed that neat, you know, kept out disorder. So yes. that was that was important to him. And you've got another um, uh, true-to-character old New Zealand homestead. You say that, and it's entirely in my head what that is. But then uh, Putia is thinking about um, the land, you know. Uh, the land, Was this land taken? Who was this land taken from five generations ago? So yeah. we talked about racism before, but also land yes. and ownership in a, in a community I think like that this, myself. So. I mean, I have RNZ on all the time, and uh, I'm not that I'm not saying that because I'm being interviewed by you. It's a fact of my life, and um, and it's become more important to me now that my eyesight is going. And so, there are often you know not well occasionally interviews with people who are happy that their generations of them have lived there for five or seven years or whatever, and that's lovely. But it never. I never hear it without thinking, and who owned the land first, and how did you get it? Um, like, was it a legal um, 
engagement or was it taken by other means? And yes, it just occurs to me that along with the generational um, happiness of having owned this place for so many years, um, there's that, that other side that maybe I'm the only one in New Zealand that thinks about that, but <laughs> I do, I do. It's, no, it's profound. It's an absolutely profound thing. Um, will will a murderer haunt the streets of Porohiwi again, Renee? Yes, yes, actually. Um, it's going to turn into um, broken, no, broken Wood Mysteries and um, Midsummer Murders. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sort of. No, yes, it will. And um, I do have an idea for the next one. And Renee reads for us from Blood Matters, where Putty finds herself in danger of discovery. Heart thumping, she changed back and moved around the hut into the dark of the other side. She felt the old grey driftwood planks steady against her back as she leaned into the shadows. On the other side, the thumping feet neared the sea end of Bethel, ran along the loop of footpath down over the dunes and onto the beach. One was tall and good runner, the other one was a little bit shorter and making heavy weather of it. A little late to be doing the washing, she thought. She'd noticed that one of them was carrying a bundle of what looked like washing, but perhaps they'd been visiting somebody and decided to do the washing while they were there. Whatever. Putty edged along the side of the hut, but just as the taller one stopped and looked back along the shore, and she froze. Had he seen a movement? Sensed someone was watching? He nudged the other one, and they both looked back. She leaned into the hut, holding her breath, telling herself that even if they could see her, it was a dark shape. They couldn't be sure who she was, and couldn't even be sure it wasn't a cloud shadow. Blood Matters by Renee is published by the Cuba Press.